You're listening to UX Podcast, a monthly podcast from Stockholm, Sweden, with James Royal Lawson and Perak Spoon, moving the conversation beyond UX. Okay, welcome to our new episode of UX Podcast. We're talking about Search Day. I'm Perak Spoon. And I'm James Royal Lawson. And we're again standing in James's soundproof office. <laughs> And uh, I just mentioned that this would be a good place for killing somebody, I guess. <laughs> Which I'm not convinced that we should get into killing people as quickly in the episode. Uh, I'm going to open the door. <laughs> but, no, no, but this, we need this because okay. it creates really good sound quality, I think. I hope, at least. Uh, so we've been actually been standing here for an hour now discussing search and trying to get to terms with what's happening with search and what's been going on for the last couple of years and actually pinpointing the problems of both on-site search, enterprise search, as well as uh, Google's own search. And they're all having their own troubles. And we'll, let's start with uh, Google and what's happening and really dive into the, the new search interface of Google and the complexity of it and everything that's happening to it with regards to video. We're seeing Twitter feeds, we're seeing images, all, all mashed up into our search and results pages. So Google, Google is so incredibly complex when it comes to you know, the search results you're getting. We, I, I have numerous times now I have to explain to clients um, when they come with the usual thing, but oh, we want to be higher in Google, we want to rank first in Google, and he said, well, you know, what does that mean? It, mm. you, it doesn't exist anymore because we we have a situation where Google exists locally in in what it must be about a hundred countries. Um, you know that you've got all the languages that you can be you can be logged in, you can be not logged in, you can have English, you can have Swedish, you can have oh, all kinds of different combinations. You can choose to have certain languages appearing in your search results. Um, you've got social circle now. It's like us, us of a, we're involved in Twitter, so we see Twitter results appearing in our search results when we're mm. logged in. Mm. Um, it, the combinations, I can't do the maths in my head, but we're talking about millions, literally millions of different potential search result pages for every single search term. So um, if you're a consultant involved in search engine optimization, then I guess this is good for you because you can charge <laughs> higher rates for doing a, a more complex job, which is, which is really actually a lot more difficult today to rank high in search engines and knowing where your, search, where your people are searching, what search engines, yeah. the, the results they're getting, what language they're searching in, uh, where they're starting off actually. I think a good, a good example to illustrate that was while we were, while we were planning the episode um, this morning, um, Per did a search um, on his iPad um, for, um, what was it, um, web, web strategy in Stockholm. Yeah. Um, so a web, web strategist in Stockholm. Um, from his iPad, Google. He was logged into Google, um, and the language in, of the interface of Google was Swedish. And per search for that phrase, and um, well, we got a set of search results of which um, I, I came up, I think, as a, as a Google map in the middle of it. Um, yeah. um, but that was the only result that I was included in. And per himself was, was I think, there. Yeah. 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 Well, well, then, well, then what did we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we changed the um, language interface. Oh, the, in, the, the language of the interface from Swedish to English. Um, so that was you know, same situation, same device, um, same logged in, or it might have even been logged out, but it was we didn't change out, anything yeah. else, mm. and did the same search. And there, the results were completely different. My yeah. website appeared um, suddenly mm. because it was it's an, I write in English, mm. um, but I have some things that are in, in Swedish. Um, so so the the complexity of, of knowing your customers or your your visitors. Um, when they're sitting at home, sitting at work, um, how is Google appearing to them? Hmm. Um, it, it geolocates. We, if we'd done this podcast in the centre of town mm -hmm. instead of here in the, in the suburbs of Stockholm, we'd have potentially got 
even more. Or if you you you're connected to my wireless network, I think, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So you you're getting geolocated results. That's right. Based on the suburb. Um, you know, how do you know? And this? also, Google is giving you results that it thinks is more uh, relevant to you based on the fact that you have know these people, you've searched uh, these types of sites before, meaning that. You're actually not getting any new results. You're not learning anything new. You're getting the same stuff that you've always searched for before. You're not actually, in a, in a sense, not in a position where you can be in, inspira inspired by stuff that will lead to innovation and lead to new knowledge. That's right. You did another search where um, I think two or three of your own links that you shared exactly. appeared in, the, in yeah. two, three, and four positions mm -hmm. of the search results, yeah. which you, know, you didn't want to use Google in that, mm -hmm. for that search as an archive of previous things. You yeah. wanted to find something new. Exactly. Um, and that was that was there was an excellent um, TED talk um, and several related articles appearing about it this last few weeks um, by um, Ellie Pariser, I think his name was, or Eli. I have no idea. Eli, I don't know. <laughs> but it was um, it was beware online filter bubbles, um, and it was, it was ex it's an excellent TED talk. And you've got to go up there and, and, and watch that. Uh, only ten minutes as usual. And and one example he gave there was um, was of two searches by two different people. Um, one of uh, to do with um, Egypt, and one of which. Um, he was used. To, he usually searched for politics and was interested in politics. When he searched for Egypt during the um, revolution uh, uprising a few months ago, he got search results with lots of current affairs and political news and political links. His friend did a search. Um, who this friend was interested in travel. Did lots of travelling. Interested in in, in roaming around the world. When he did the same a similar search about Egypt, he got travel related things and not a mention right. of the of the political situation. Mm -hmm. Incredibly contrasting filters applied based on their previous searching behavior. So you're, you're getting search results in your own comfort zone, which is basically there's no room for surprises and it's very zombie friendly. I mean, you're not learning anything new. You can just walk ahead and go on with your life and not actually be presented with search results that are not, not within your grasp or reach or yeah. something that you've not searched for before. And the matter of it is that if you, if you start out by taking you know, an average of, of a broad thing, and presenting that average mm. to someone or to a range of people, and then the next step, of course, is averaging it again. Mm. And eventually, if you roll this model you know, forward, where Google's working with with um, presenting social search, eventually you're going to, everyone's going to get the same result for everything. It's going to be very, very narrow. Yeah. So basically, you're just going to get one result at the end. Yeah. Your own site, your result. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> you might as well just bookmark your home. You know, your own site is your home page. Yeah. You get on with it. <laughs> Let's mention something about enterprise search as well and on-site search because I think we're all failing in the same way in the sense that we're trying to find a way to automate uh, the finding information but uh, what I've always said in my talks before a few years back that Google always spent time with 10 to 20 people uh, working manually to find perfect hit for the most uh, popular searches. Mm -hmm. Enterprises don't have that kind of uh, manpower and that kind of resources. So they're not going to succeed. And all, as you said, James, I think on-site search, search as well is always a fallback solution if your navigation doesn't, right. doesn't work. You're right. I mean, I see on-site search as a, as, a, um, as a way out for something else, as something else that's broken. You know, your navigation, your, your user experience generally. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a fallback. You, you shouldn't be expecting people to, to use that. And Google does such a much, mm -hmm. much, much better job most of the time. Yeah. So search says, uh, we've been doing search now for, for 10 to 12 years online. And, Everybody's complaining about it, and, and Google is having a hard time as well. They're, they're implementing new stuff just to try and find uh, or present better content to you. They're basically failing in that sense. I think they have a, a, the same problems that the enterprises do, that they're more and more and more content as well. Mm. 
I mean, there were a trillion pages uh, indexed just three years back, millions and millions added each day. We're all going to have trouble finding the right content for the right uh, context. And you also, we, we, um, we talked in our planning about intranets and enterprise search internally. Um, that, you know, every single every time I go to an intranet conference or, or meeting, it's the thing that always comes up there. It's like, how do we solve enterprise search internally? Um, and very few companies have done it to, a, to an extent where you would think, oh yeah, we've got that Google yeah, internally. Exactly. And we have a challenge for you, of course, if you can find one on-site search engine that will present better search results than Google itself, then uh, go ahead and give us a tip. <laughs> yeah, um, we've babbled already for nine minutes. I know. Um, <laughs> so that's the end of, of part one of this episode. And coming up in part two, we're going to talk about some ideas and the Darwinism of searching. You've been listening to part one of this UX podcast episode with freelance consultants James R. Lawson and Per Axpel. For more information or to subscribe to this podcast, visit uxpodcast.com. You're listening to UX Podcast, a monthly podcast from Stockholm, Sweden, with James Royal Lawson and Perak School, moving the conversation beyond UX. Welcome to um, part two of the UX Podcast with me, James Royal Lawson, and me, Perak School. This part, we're well, we've called it the Darwinism of Searching. Um, we're we're going to talk about our ideas a little bit about how what can we do with search? How can we solve search? Mm. Because it's not working properly, really. Exactly. And what we've talked about is, of course, what a lot of people are talking about online now is connecting people and making people talk to each other. And I think I had uh, an excellent example from uh, the Shock of Change when I had Jonas Söderström. Uh, he's the author of Jävla system, which is basically bloody crap system. Uh, oh, this, this was a conference in Stockholm um, a couple just of weeks ago. a couple of weeks it? ago, yeah. All right. Uh, really, I can really recommend it. Uh, I was well, half in English, half in Swedish. But his point was he had interviewed a lot of people at an enterprise and, and he found that everybody was coming back to naming a person. That person is an expert in this field and that person is an expert in that field. They basically ask questions and they ask those questions perhaps digi uh, digitally, but it's always one person who's the curator of information for some subject area and that's the person you want to reach. And you have, want to give that, that person the tools to answer questions. So it's a human search engine, basically. It's social search. It's social search. Um, which, which you know, Google's trying really hard to, to, to provide that social search solution now by using your friend circle. And mm -hmm. we see that, I mentioned that in the, earlier, that you know, we see, because we use it as a Twitter, mm -hmm. a Twitter um, results coming really high up in our search results, but most normal people aren't, haven't really got that publicly visible um, social network. And it's Facebook and it's a lot more closed in. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that sense, Google's going to fail them from a social uh, point of view, right? Um, but um, I think I think the social social search is a solution also to the enterprise search internally. I'm going to jump straight into the internal yeah. aspect of things because what we've seen with um, with Twitter is how you have the the crest of the wave concept that relevant information and the latest information bubbles up to the surface, it's, it's going to be spread now, real-time way. Mm. Um, and that's, that's the same solution, or the same solution will, will help enterprises. And if you have status updates and the ability to share small snippets of information and have conversations based on them, then you don't need to worry as much about 
then for a search solution, finding things in a search engine, mm. because you follow the human pattern better. That um, I would normally in an office go, all right, uh, does anyone know where the um, uh, social media policy is? And oh, 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 you know, Per, do you know where it is? I'd ask the person who I expect to know, yeah. and you'd answer me. So yeah, it's it's in that folder, or, or I'll email you it. Yeah. And I would not only answer you; I would actually give you some contextual information. I, I used it, and I found this part difficult, or. Uh, talk to Lisa because she used it the other week and she had some really good ideas yeah. for implementing. Oh, talk to Caroline yeah. because she's working on um, on version two. Exactly. So you get contextual information based on your query yeah. that you would not get from an automated system. Exactly. So so buying a status update and you're following the more human way of of finding answers. Mm. And you write a status update. Where's where's social media policy? And then anyone who knows where it is will tell me. I don't need to to know which departmental website it is on the internet or which silo is under, mm. um, you know, I can I just get that delivered to me. And exactly. we're, we're seeing this too. Um, you mentioned this morning about your Yammer server you did. Yeah. And one thing you asked there was about do people use it to, as an so archive? Because I've always thought that people would use their, the, these types of networks to actually search for questions they've asked before and search for, for stuff that other people have asked. Which but is actually exactly what Google's doing now with yeah. social search, providing you with the links you previously shared. Exactly, and that's not what, what, I, what this, the human behavior naturally. I'm asking somebody again, yeah. and I've heard other people talk about that in Facebook groups as well. You don't get people searching for previous responses, you get people asking the same question again, exactly. and you have to answer them again. Because that's mm. the natural human thing to do. Right. Um, so Google, you may argue, is doing the right thing by providing you with the same answer again, because you're asking <laughs> the same question again. Right. But it's mm. flat. There's no conversation yeah. around it. Mm. You but that's becoming, that's becoming more like, uh, like we were talking about before, a desktop search where I search for my own content, my own documents, my own Gmail stuff. and It's not so much a search engine for finding new content. So the, the basic premise of what Google is has actually changed over the years. Mm. And I... We, we, we need to get into a bit of a specialized search too here. So we, we, what we're seeing, what I'm seeing now is this year's kind of black, I suppose, in, in many ways, is T-shaped people. Mm. Um, that we're, we're seeing lots of um, articles and, and business people and things talk about the need for T-shaped people. That's where you know, you've got a broad knowledge and then a specialized area. So the, the bar of the T is the broadness of your, your overall knowledge and then you've got a, the, the downward vertical of the, of the T is your, is your deep specialist knowledge. Uh, and this, this applies for searching and social searching that um, you, you may be able to be very good at finding things within your specialist area or spreading those things um, and making, connecting other people to that rather than having one general search engine that delivers everything. Mm. Um, we, that's where we get into the Darwinism. <laughs> that we're going forward, that we, we've evolved into people who are very good at searching, and maybe who are not. We can't expect everyone to to, to be search experts, search experts at mm. searching. Mm. Uh, me and you are actually really good at searching. Mm. I think um, one advantage here in Sweden is, of course, being an English speaker, then I can search English things a little bit better than Swedish people. Right, can. exactly. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's a it's a very specific skill, mm. um, and we need to be able to. Transfer that skill to others. So I, I need to search for things, find things, and then pass it on to others. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, one of the points being that, I mean, search engines are not dead in any sense, but the number of people using search engines will change drastically. I think the people will start asking the people who know how to search. The people will become content curators, if you will, more like the librarians of the future. The people who have the information know how to search for the information. Uh, and can provide it in a, in a sensible way, in a communicative way. 
And I, um, and I think, too, that um, you mentioned um, the idea of, well, how we have closed social circles and, and that um, with the way social search is rolling out, mm. that if you want to be innovative and um, you know, keeping thinking of new ideas, then you need to keep expanding your social network or rather keep rolling it. Mm. Um, one, one example that I've got there is, um, now I, I use Facebook, I think Facebook, I love and hate Facebook, um, but one good thing it does for me is it allows me to keep in contact with all my colleagues and friends that I had in England uh, up to when I moved to Sweden at the end of at the start of the of 2000. Um, and that they, they then take up a chunk of my social network. As a human, you can only have 100, 100 plus um, active, strong social ties at once. Um, so I, I'm kind of tidying my history even more right. because of Facebook rather than going forward and yeah. being more interested. That's fine for me on Facebook because of how I use Facebook and I use then Twitter to give me the, the new input of people. But because you have this limitation of the number of people you can be exposed to and be strongly tied to, then you do need to think maybe, some people anyway, if you are a specialist searcher and or you want to be interested, about keeping it rolling, keeping your network... Okay, keeping it forward. rolling and then perhaps... Sometimes abandoning, of course, that Google as your main search engine mm. and turning into the long tail of search engines, which would be the ones that we're actually looking into, uh, we were talking about before, uh, like a search engine like PSECT, which is like price comparison site that you use a lot. Yeah, very, very popular price yeah. comparison site. Yeah, Another niche site, I mean, some, sometimes you search in Google, but really what you want is Wikipedia, and you go, or sometimes you go to Wikipedia for your search results. You go to YouTube, you go to Amazon. I use Amazon to search for books and reviews, but I don't buy them there. I just use the search engine for getting information about books. I mean, you're, you're right. You're, the, the, your first, your initial touch point um, as a customer, or as a, as a um, well, when you come into contact with a brand, is almost always a search engine these days. Mm. It feels like anyway. And then where it might not be Google always now, because like I said, I, I start with price. Um, Price mm -hmm. hunt, um, price act. Mm -hmm. Whenever I look for a consumer electronic product, right? Um, and I you know, Amazon. I start there sometimes with certain things. I don't always start with Google. Exactly. I start with Wikipedia, like you yeah. said. Um, but search is still very important first mm -hmm. touch point. It is, and we have to move on there. Uh, that's the end of uh, part two of this episode, and we're moving on to part three. Don't be evil. You've been listening to part two of this UX podcast episode with freelance consultants James Borrell Lawson and Paraxical. For more information or to subscribe to this podcast, visit uxpodcast.com. You're listening to UX Podcast, a monthly podcast from Stockholm, Sweden, with James Rowe Lawson and Perak School, moving the conversation beyond UX. Okay, welcome back to part three of the UX Podcast. Uh, Don't be evil with me, Perak School, and me, James Rowe Lawson. Okay, excellent. <laughs> uh, so, James, you were saying about uh, people that we're basically talking about a lot of lots of lots of people being T-shaped today. They have a broad. Uh, competence area but they're niched in some area where they're specialists sort of exactly and I think I, mean, I love that idea and I think it's of course I would love it because I'm, I'm t-shaped because <laughs> I think I'm t-shaped um, <clears throat> but I think it's quite unrealistic to expect everyone to be t-shaped they're not going to be so so what I've done I mean it's, it's really useful for an audio podcast and I've, I've written on the whiteboard in front of us here um, a T but the the, the vertical bar is a person slightly separated from the top bar, which is a person. To, to illustrate that, 
Um, Two you, people can make a team. Exactly. Together you can make a t-shirt person. And that you have your, your specialist. And that specialist can be someone who isn't really good at articulating um, their knowledge or sharing their knowledge mm. or writing blog posts or doing whatever. So long as you have someone who can be the bar across the top and pick up on that mm. and spread it and deal with it. Now, we can call these um, you know, community gardeners um, or we can call them content creators mm. um, or I've even called them you know, sharers or... or um, oh, there's a whole many different names. Yeah. You've got some different... You're sneezers. And you Mavens say. and sneezers, yeah. yeah. Well, I tend to recommend my clients to find, try and find these people yeah. and make use of them. I mean, I say, because I, I call them super creators in, in one talk I've done, that um, for, for a project to succeed, for a lot of collaboration, especially internally to succeed, you've got to have one or two of these type of people in, mm. your, in your group of people, or it's yeah. just going to die. It's not going to happen. Right. So, so you need to make teas if you can't find individuals who are teas. Right. Um, and that, I think, is, is definitely the, the, the next step with with search um, or accepting that this is how it is right um, and these are the people you have to provide with the right tools so that they can, they can answer questions from the rest of the organization and you can learn so much from these talking to these, these people as well and mm. um, in an organizational change these are the people you talk to first and perhaps they can help you make that change mm. yeah or at least if you're an organization you can make sure your website provides the the vertical bar of the t making it easy for whether it's PR people or, or peers within your industry to pick up on your products, content, knowledge, whatever, and, and share it. Yeah. So let's make a concrete recommendation for uh, our clients out there and people listening. Uh, how, to, how do we make content searchable, more searchable today than it has been before? Uh, let's talk about actually posting your content in several different channels, multi-channel. Let's talk about geotagging and Google Places and perhaps using even microformats. Yeah. on your site. Yeah. We've, we haven't got time to go into all of those and the details <laughs> of all of them, but, um, but it, it is crucial that you have this, this spread. I mean, not to shoot totally wide about everywhere, but, but I think the detail of it, that um, microformats is something that Google's been pushing now for a couple of years, of a way of adding metadata to your content to enable search engines to easier index it and mm. understand what it is. So this might be... Um, um, well, a recipe or a review or, yeah. or a, a, a calendar. Man. I mean, a lot, a calendar lots event. of people have seminars, and you can actually, in the code for the when you're presenting your seminar, you can actually tag it with the place where it is, and you have that means geocoding the the place where it is, and actually the time and date, and you can have people add it to the calendars automatically. The search engines aren't, aren't using aren't using this information really heavily yet in some aspects. Mm. I mean, Google has rolled out the recipes and the reviews and so mm. on, but, but as far as the geolocation, mm. it's getting there, but it's going to be, you know, with the advent of mobile web now and the sheer millions of people that are using mobile devices, mm. it, it, it's going to be utterly crucial, that kind of thing, going forward. So there, you need to get into these things like geotagging microformats and, and um, yeah, they're technical and um, you've got to be accurate with them. You can't yeah. you can't fudge these because if you fudge them a little bit, they're wrong. They mm. don't get indexed. Mm. Um, but this, this is the kind of thing you need to do to help the search engines and help make it easier for your gardeners, creators, you know, sharers, all these other things to spread it. Um, I think you also need to know your audience um, and understand how people search. It's not just Google anymore. Like we've said in one of the earlier parts, that you're you're searching with a, a whole range of different tools depending whether you've got a, when you feel like you have a specialist um, task to solve. Um, Google dominates, of course, but yeah. um, 
it might be an example I could give there would be if you've got a large organisation in Sweden, for example. It could be that they've got maybe a, um, a more international or an IP address for their network, which Google sees as being American. Mm. Um, so that when they sit there internally here in Sweden and surf, mm. they get presented with Google.com, yep. not Google.se. Mm. But they're doing their Swedish searches in the American Google, and they're getting a completely different search result, as we demonstrated or talked about in, in part one of this. That yeah. You can get vastly different first-page results. Absolutely. Um, so, so there, one thing I do is I, there's, um, there's a project from Mozilla, which I've forgotten the exact name of it. There'll be a link on the, on the notes of this part, where, where I, add, um, I have different Googles in my searches, search um, providers in my browser, so I can switch quickly between different localities. Exactly, and then you can just learn about how different different search results actually can be. Yeah, and illustrate to customers or clients, this is mm. how it is. And do you understand how your clients are searching? Um, clean searches we talked, uh, yeah. we, we, we used as well. You, you can use um, anonymizing Google searches that strip away all the cookies and everything else to make it more of a clean search. But you never get a purely clean search because Google is doing so much to... to uh, personalize your results right. um, from from a location point of view, even if you have stripped away all the cookies and history. Mm. You were saying there actually that I want to comment on Google is dominant. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is, but the way that people search, I think, has really changed. And one of the big aspects that I think everybody sees in their search results when they're looking at statistics is the fact that people are searching. They know what they're searching for. They know what site they're searching for. I mean, even you and I search on site, but using Google. Mm -hmm. But people also search for your company name. Just put in your company name, mm -hmm. expecting this first result to actually be your company site. And that, for me, is not a search engine result. Mm -hmm. That's not some. That's actually just a way of using Google as a card catalog. That's not a, a search engine uh, behavior, actually. Mm -hmm. I think. I, I also think brands as well now. Um, you really have to search for their, their mentions, but they need to network with their customers. Um, in order to influence their search results, yeah. Because I've seen now is you know if, if you if you follow if you follow a brand on Twitter, mm. then their tweets are going to appear in your mm. personalized so, you know, search results, social search there. Um, so so it's crucial for a company to 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 have that connection, to have it a is. social circle, it to is. influence. Real time search is becoming so much more important. Uh, also because. As we were saying in part two, people are asking the same questions over and over. And if you're talking about your content, and if you're out there and proactive and finding the questions, then you'll be also seen in the search results. Yeah. So it's all about net networking with the subject area experts and the people asking, the people interested in your company. Yeah, creating that. You're basically trying to build up your own um, ring-fenced area of the internet. Yeah. Um, your own little island through social search and, and, and social networking. But I think this also. It, Highlights yet again about, uh, we said don't be evil is the, is, the, is the title of this, that yeah, you've, got to, you, you've got to be good, you've got to be, you've got to be nice, mm. you've, you've got to deliver, you can't, you can't now get away with being crap, with, being, you know, yeah. with not delivering, because people are going to do reviews, they're going to dish you with their social network and yeah. so on. Yeah, we were, we're reaching that point of purity in that mm. honesty and quality is what mm. is going to win. So you should never worry about keyword stuffing and becoming penalized by Google, but you should worry never. about creating kick-ass content and actually you can't get away with being shit. No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another part finished. Yeah. Uh, 
and I hope you really liked it. So drop us a line, comment, do anything, let us know if you've listened and uh, if you appreciate it or if you have any ideas for something else you want us to talk about. Yeah. Um, thank you for today. James Roy Lawson and Pat Axelon. Bye. Checking out. You've been listening to part three of this UX podcast episode with freelance consultants James Roy Lawson and Pat Axelon. For more information or to subscribe to this podcast, visit uxpodcast.com. Thank <laughs> you.